And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 260 of Panelology. I'm Alex. I'm Jenna. And I'm Brian. We're back, all of us. Everybody's here. I'm so happy. I'm here to sow chaos, bitches. (laughs) Yay. Welcome back. How how was everybody's week? Oh, we're still doing that with asking about the week thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he still yeah. does that. He has still not learned. We just revert back to my last episode and that's how it was. <laughs> uh fine. Although fine. I got my first shot, so Ah, hell yeah. Yay. Excellent. Yeah, I got my second a little under 2 weeks ago. In fact, as this episode drops 2 weeks ago. Uh and as of the last week, I have 5G on my phone. Uh-huh. It's unrelated. I got a new iPhone in the middle of that time, but I have five G on my phone now. You're vaccinated against the five G. It's fine. Thank yeah. you. I, I'm I'm half there. I'm I'm between my first and second shot. Brian's on three G. Oh That's yeah. Right. No, I'm on I'm on four G LTE. That weird <laughs> <laughs> that weird AT and T thing they tried to make work. I don't know. Never what in the fuck that means. <laughs> Well, uh, let's talk about comics, because we have a lot of them. This is going to be a long episode. Hold on to your butts, everybody. It has been so long since I've talked about, like, the books that are coming out weekly, not just, like, shit that I'm getting in the future. <laughs> well, the future is now. Yeah. That's a saying I just made up right here. Yeah, you did that. That's yeah. you. You did it. The more you know... The Many Deaths of Lila Starr, number one, written by Ram V, art by Philippe Andrade, with color assists by Inez Amaro, and letters by Andworld Design. We are going to be quick on this one because actually we've already talked about it. We talked about it before Final Order cut off. Yeah. But it's out now, and it is really, really, really good. Oh, so good. Uh, as a reminder, this is a book about death. Getting laid off from her job because humans are about to discover immortality. And she gets sent back to Earth and maneuvers her way into being uh, on Earth at the same time that the inventor of immortality, discoverer of immortality. I struggled with this language when we talked about it the first time, too. (laughs) I am consistent. the, The person for whom the immortality is somehow discovered. How about that? We'll go with that. (laughs) um she maneuvers herself to be in a position to kill the discoverer of immortality should she so choose yes uh the character designs are fun it is a much funnier book i think than the premise sort of uh uh hints at yes on its own and i am definitely looking forward to more rom v is a favorite of mine this is no secret and this is a uh th- yeah no this this is a great a great 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 good book i like it yeah also shout out to that color palette oh, oh yes i'm only halfway through but oh my god mm, it's so pretty stuff. like 
neons and pastels and it shouldn't work but it does it just yep. so does all right if you haven't checked it out do it if not well uh why are you listening you're not gonna take our best advice <laughs> moving on knock em dead number five written by elliot rail art by mattia monaco colors by matt Milla, and letters by taylor esposito Jin, what yes. is this I didn't realize that I was the only one reading this um, because uh, I don't talk about comics on a weekly basis anymore. So this is about a stand-up comedian who's trying to get his big break in the business. Um, and he gets into a car accident with a friend of his who who is more likely to get the big break because he's just better. Uh, he just has that spark. And he ends up, well, they both end up kind of dying and he becomes sort of a vessel for souls and he chooses to use himself well he and his sister choose to use him as a vessel for the souls of dead comedians <laughs> um and it sounds like it's a really funny book but you don't get to know really hardly any of the jokes that he says on stage nothing uh because it's it's a little bit more serious and it deals with like trauma and family bullcrap and all that other stuff but it is still it is still pretty funny because i mean one of the souls is lenny bruce how could it not be funny right? <laughs> uh this was a really really good book i enjoyed every issue awesome very nice how about phantom on the scan a great title which must mean it's written by colin bunn imagine that <laughs> art and colors are by mark torres and letters by dave sharp yeah um this book is about uh, an, an event that happens in the world of uh, a shooting star, a, a meteor, something crashes to Earth. And now there are some people who maybe have psychic powers, but the more they use them, the closer they are to death. And like oh. a, a boom, boom, head explode death, not like <laughs> a petered out, kind of fell over and died death, like a, a very gross death. Um, and this one guy. Who is in Atlanta? So that was I was like seeing seeing the hometown and books. Yep. Although none of none of the shots, none of the drawings are Atlanta. Are you could not? just watch it. Just watch something from Marvel, and you'll you, you just do that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Or if you're well, no, Brian, you don't work in that office anymore. I was gonna say if you're Brian, just look yeah. out your window. Right. Well, yeah, I used to. Anymore. I used to just look out. They used to film all around me. Yeah. Marvel is the world outside your old window. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um but this guy decides to sort of get everyone together and figure out what the fuck is happening to them. And the thing that he sees that sort of is the manifestation of his powers is what I think it is anyway, is this little dead boy and it's terrifying. <laughs> Creepy awesome. Surfing. Alice in Leatherland, number one. This is written by Yolanda Zanferdino with art by Elisa Romboli. I'm so bummed you could not get your hands on this, Jim. Oh, I'm so mad. Um, that was my whole thing that I was looking forward to the whole first part of this week. This is sort of a queer slice-of-life relationship comic. Uh, it is about a children's book writer, a fairy tale writer, uh, named Alice, who her her collaborator her sort of closest friend is about to move to San Francisco and wants her to come along cuz the relationship she's in is toxic and also i think she has a crush on Alice uh 
Alice says no. Her her partner is here. Her life is here. And then discovers that her partner is cheating on her and decides to go along. And I think we only get just the slightest taste of the sort of sex comedy of this uh, in maybe the last third of the book. She eventually makes it to San Francisco, finds an apartment, and uh, her roommates are a dom and a performance artist whom we meet wearing tape and Sharpie, who is nice. being being stalked by museum goers who are, like, infatuated with her. Mm. All right, then. Uh, it's It's a lot of fun. It is... I think if you're a fan of something like Sunstone or Destiny New York, both of those are sort of good points of comparison for the style of the comic. It seems like it has like a sort of, you know, sexier rated Ghosted in L.A. vibe. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good comparison point, too. Absolutely. Uh, It's also all done in sort of tones of, of red or of pink. It's not fully colored. Um, but it works really, really well for the book's sort of, of, of style. Like, I really dig the art in it. Absolutely recommend if you enjoy relationship comics or looking for fun queer content. We're eventually going to come across a comic that at least two of us have read, but it's (laughs) not going to be the next one. Nope. Batman Fortnite, zero point, number one. That's just me. Motherfuckers. Written by Christos Gage, pencils by Riley Brown, inks by Nelson Faro de Castro, colors by John Kalish, and letters by Andworld Design. We were working on our show notes, and Brian went into full old man mode about this. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not reading a Fortnite book. He's just jealous <laughs> that those, those little characters can floss so good. Sure, that's it. <laughs> you nailed it. I now expect the next time we actually are hanging out in one space together, I expect Brian to drunkenly floss. That is... If he doesn't, I am going to prod him into it, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> so, Jen, what yeah. is this? Um, A giant crack opens <laughs> in the sky over Gotham, and Batman goes to investigate it and finds that Harley Quinn is already there investigating <laughs> it. <laughs> and apparently someone else has already gone through or maybe even a group of people have already gone through. Uh, and out of nowhere, someone helps Batman along through the rift. Um, when he shows up in the Fortnite world, he discovers that it's, it's manned by a bunch of homicidal maniacs and he can't speak <laughs> and he doesn't know who he is. Oh no! Oh no! Please, but, please tell me at least he doesn't actually parachute and he just he just bat glides. Oh no! In. He just like falls in. <laughs> um, he he like winds up in the swamps. Um, but he does notice that even though he doesn't know who he is or where he is or why he is, he sees somebody that he recognizes and knows that they are supposed to be together or helping each other or something like that now he's in a swamp and i feel like there's an obvious character people expect me to ask well, he if he runs stay into in the swamp he, he starts there if you know anything oh. about fortnite uh you you parachute into one of the locations on the map and then you fight whoever the fuck is there which is normally like 50 people if you're me um 
but then the storm starts and you have to run to another location. You can't just sit out or you will die. And he maybe also finds that out too. Yeah, I, I'm with Alex. So it, it, they them starting him in the swamp. There's an obvious answer of somebody yeah. who doesn't pick up guns but goes immediately for pants. Solomon Grundy want pants. <laughs> That's actually where I was going, Brian. Thank you. There you go. Man, I hope Solomon Grundy's in this. <laughs> I have only played a little bit of Fortnite, but um, my my main experience was I. It was right after it came out for Switch. I got matched into a team with like fourteen year olds. Oh, which no. is fine. I play solo. No, no, no. Um, they spent the entire time complaining about how all these new Switch players were terrible, and <laughs> I outlasted them by like 20 minutes. That's yeah. how you do. That's how you're yeah. supposed to do. My biggest problem is I just can't keep my Switch connected to the internet consistently. I don't know why. I can't oh. play anything multiplayer on it. I need to get one of the LAN adapters and try yeah. that. Um, but that is neither here nor there. It's my, it's my dead brain game. Like, I don't, I don't want to do anything that I have to pay attention to, really. I'll just play some Fortnite. That is how I have logged 730 hours on Pokemon Sword. <laughs> yeah, but at least that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, now, Brian. Mm-hmm. What character would it take showing up to entice you to play or at least read a Fortnite comic? Uh, I can tell you the person that's in the next book we're going to talk about would do it. See this mind meld Brian and I have going, Jen? How good our segues are now? Oh my god, I leave for like a few months and now you're just pros. I fucking hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Gold well, Beetle uh, would do it. That's right, Gold Beetle. I'm going to say star of the Flash number 769. Damn right. This is written by Jeremy Adams, with art by David Lafuente and Brandon Peterson. Colors are by Micah Tia and Luis Guerrero. And letters are by Steve Wands. Uh, Wally has done a Bart. Is a Bart. <laughs> is a Bart. Has possessed Bart. Yes. Has taken over Bart's body. Just in time to deal with a giant dominator. <laughs> oh. Which apparently is kind of his fault. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. So whatever. Well, I guess technically it's not his fault. It's his problem to solve. Yeah. yeah. Whatever gave us uh, Speed Force Velociraptor right. last issue has given us Giant Dominator this issue. Kaiju fortun- Dominator, yes. <laughs> Fortunately, Bart has a partner, a Bartner, if you will, in the future. And who is that, Brian? It's Gold Beetle. Oh my god, this this is my absolute favorite new character. Oh, I love her so much. Like, talk about the most chaotic neutral superhero character. <laughs> oh, so I'm gonna love this bitch. Absolutely. Oh my god, yes. So <laughs> you're gonna so, be cosplaying Gold oh, Beetle. Oh. Yeah, if you remember two issues ago, like when this it when the or maybe it was last year, when this arc started wally was in the process of retiring like he just wants to spend time with his family and the whole thing that started this is they were trying to remove his speed force powers so that he could just live a normal life for a while um and so uh he he ends up here talking to her and when she finds out that he's wally she starts saying oh captain da, 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 this that and the other da, you know you lead it to he's like no 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 you must you, you've got me confused i'm retired and she just busts out laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's tired. Oh, right. <laughs> it's very silence in the library, 
right? It, yes, very, very much with uh, uh, Doc, Doctor Who and River Song. Yes, yep. Um, because it's it's his first time meeting her, right? But she and she even acknowledges, "Hey, when I meet you for the first time, will you not blast me with whatever?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing she says, which I just absolutely love. At some point, she says something about, "Uh, let's see, where's it at?" Um. Uh, he's like, can we just go? Hi, boss. Wow, Wally West. Hey, tell your son Jai, Jai hi for me, will ya? Is, is he still single? He's eight years old. Not when I meet him. Rawr. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Would, it, would it be fair to say that that's Brian's quote of the week? Yeah, that'd be it. Brian's quote of the week. Oops, it already happened. <laughs> it's time travel. It's thematic. That's right. I love it. Oh, uh, so, so good. Uh, the other thing, which it, it, I enjoy so much more than I probably would have expected, and, but it, it's is Mr. Terrific and Barry and Oliver being like the, the grumpy old men in the chair. <laughs> yes. Are like, are like really, really good. Yep. Uh... If memory serves, we also got a tease of I'm trying to find the page a tease of some maybe potential plot points while she is sort of rambling about things that they have already done together. Yes. We talk about the galactic space race mm -hmm. and the linear men. Right. Yeah. And the reason that stuck in my mind is because one of my favorite old Flash stories from when Grant Morrison and Mark Miller were on the book, is the Wally West races his imaginary friend to save the world storyline. So I wonder if we're going to get a version of that again. Could be fun. Yeah. I also want to know what the linear men are, that which I imagine... Good. That sounds I imagine very we'll Grant Morrison, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I wonder if they've appeared before. I didn't actually double-check that. I don't know. But I can tell you, uh, but we know what next issue is going to be. Yes. We know who the next speedster he falls into is. It's Jay Garrick. It is. Yeah, we get some good World War II Justice Society Golden Age Flash. Yeah. Nice. Next up, we have Infinite Frontier Secret Files Chapter 1. This is written by Brandon Thomas. Art is by Valentin Delandro. Colors are by Marissa Louise and Triona Farrell. And letters are by Tom Napolitano. So we get a, a big one-shot in June that's going to collect all of these individual chapters that are dropping digitally. Okay, I was wondering, and yeah. I was, I'll be honest, when I picked this up, I was kind of expecting this to be a anthology, especially mm -hmm. as much as they've done that recently. But yeah, no, this is just a single story. Well, and I think the net effect, that one-shot's going to be like a $10 collected one-shot. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's going to read as an anthology. As an anthology. And don't get me wrong, I, in, in, it is an anthology in that each issue will be different. But, right. But, uh, but it's not within the same issue. It's not a collected anthology. How's that? Correct. At least the individual issues here are. Yeah. So this first one follows Calvin Ellis, President Superman. On basically a day in the life. It is, and it talks about, there's there's kind of this background thing of Kellex is trying to keep up with how much time he has available in his schedule. Like, what the kind of the net free time he's running. I uh, mean, it's it's very West Wing. It, yeah, yeah. It, I, Do I you remember? So yeah. 
Do you remember the episode where was it an earthquake or a tornado? It's 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 a post Sorkin episode. It's like season six, late five, early six, and President Bartlett insists on like going out and yes. visiting the site. Yeah, and the yep. entire episode is framed by how on or off schedule is he? Yes, that's what I kept thinking of reading this issue. Uh, and he doesn't want to leave, so he keeps dragging it further behind. I yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We even get a Kellex. What's next? Yeah. Yes, we do. I loved it. Yeah, there's that. It would not shock me at all to know that they had that in mind for when they were writing this. I'd be shocked if they did it. Like, yeah, yeah. You've, there's no way. There's no way that's all coincidental. Yeah. And we find out at the end like what what that is is any time that he literally has you know more than like two minutes at the end of the day, he goes into this special chamber which is essentially like a sensory deprivation type thing. But you know it's like super sensory deprivation it's a martian pocket dimension yeah and by doing that he is kind of able to let everything drain away and reset and come back as as a a better superman to deal with what's coming up next yeah yeah uh the other the other thing this issue frames around is his his vice president and cabinet are trying to solve an issue like in the earth's just near orbit and like their immediate solution is, well, let's send Superman. He's like, right. we need to be able to handle situations without Superman because maybe someday Superman can't be here. Right. Which that feels like the hook into Justice Incarnate hijinks and the Infinite Frontier miniseries that starts in June. Yep. Yep. Uh, the other thing I don't know if you noticed is uh, who his vice president is. Uh, vice President Olson. Yeah, Jimmy Olson. Yeah. And uh, I, I love that he's drawn to look kind of like the Jimmy Olsen from Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah, was that cool. was a nice touch. Justice League number 60. Our our first story is Prisms Part 2. This is written by Brian Michael Bindus. Art is by David Marquez. Colors by Tamara Bonvillain. And letters by Josh Reed. I really, really like the way they're using Black Adam here. I do too. And I think I think we as the readers, at least having read Future State, probably have an idea of why everyone feels like Black Adam is just a little off from what they expect him to be. Mm-hmm. But I like that the issue is focusing more on just gently nodding to everyone thinking he's a little off versus like, this is the focus of it's very much about him being present and Superman wanting him to to step up, but no one's playing the oh, this is so weird, why is he behaving card i got I gotta say though Green Arrow has has the best line in the whole book <laughs> you're gonna have to be a little more specific because as it turns out, Bendis writes an amazing Oliver Queen, yeah, no joke. Uh, so Superman is kind of arguing for why they should let Black Adam in and you know basically give him a chance and all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there goes it's it's not fair. Anyone who disagrees with you automatically looks vaguely evil or nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and then Superman shuts him down with a compliment. Yep, <laughs> you realize what happened? You just lost an argument by compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh... 
And then the only person who truly reacts poorly is somebody else who's not currently technically in the league, and that's uh, uh, Hippolyta. Yeah. And we now know a lot more about their history together from, you know, uh, Endless Winter and that. So, right. right. Yeah. Uh, I also love that, that Dinah calls her hip. <laughs> yes. Feels very Dinah. It does. Uh, also, we get a lot of Naomi in this issue. In <laughs> fact, this whole first arc is going to be very centered on Naomi and her history, and I love this. Like, Naomi and Black Adam just sort of in the waiting room while the Justice League talks amongst itself is fantastic. Uh, that and then uh, Hot Girl stepping up to uh, to see how her mace will react to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 14% cooler. It's right. I feel fourteen percent cooler. I know that's my every day. <laughs> <laughs> that and wings, ah, oh, so good. It's a very quotable book. It, it is, it is. And then we see Flash has built a new style cosmic treadmill that he doesn't that he powers, but he doesn't travel with it. He actually uses it to send other people. Yeah, yeah. And then he's upset because the logos for everybody aren't to scale. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really, I really like what Bendis is building here. I do too. I do too. It feels like it's it's definitely a Justice League book, but it feels less bombastic in a lot of ways, right. Than a Justice League book. Uh, the other part of this issue is Dangerous Things, the Justice League Dark chapter, uh, written by Rom V, art by Hermanico, colors by Romulo Fayardo Jr., and letters by Rob Lee. I love the idea of Etrigan sitting at the Justice League table for, like, a briefing meeting. Yes. In Batman seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, and this, this, this chapter is addressing primarily the fact that with, with Diana gone... Mm-hmm. Zatanna basically has to run Justice League Dark by herself and isn't... Like, we learned last issue that maybe her magic is not working. Right. So she's not feeling up to it. Yes. Uh, and I also love that Batman pulls Etrigan aside and basically says, you know, Zatanna... Like, we're reminded of how close Batman and Zatanna are, right? Mm -hmm. Like, growing up together. And... Uh, you know, he basically tells him she needs she needs this confidence, so don't do anything. And he's like, "You're really threatening me. I'm a demon from hell." Yeah, and I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's yeah. just all good. It is. We also get at the end the return of another Justice League Dark character. Yeah. Uh, who I'm excited to see more of. Nightwing number 79, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo, colors by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Wes Abbott. I cannot believe how much I love a Nightwing book after just two issues. So I was not here to talk, I was not on the episode where we talked about the first one. So I read both of these together, and I can tell you flat out the last one, I teared up. I was like, oh. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and then this one, uh, okay, I, I know one of the things we talked about kind of leading up to this before this happened was we hoped that it kind of earned the the Dick and Barbara relationship. Yep. I can tell you it's starting off real strong. <laughs> right. It's doing a real good job so far. 
Like, just, and I like that it's not pushing it too fast either. No, it's it's, yeah. it's little moments. It's like it them is. sitting in the floor watching the dog that they've adopted eat. Yeah. And then when it's had enough and is ready for a nap, going to grab some pizza together. Yes. Aww. There's a dog. Uh, jump forward like ten seconds if you don't want to learn its name early. Its name is Haley, and its code name is Bitewing. Ah, uh, okay. It's only got three legs. Yeah, I know. I've seen the pictures and oh my gosh. So I take it from you guys' high praise. This is definitely a book that I need to jump back on. It's- yes. Y- you do. You absolutely all right, do. All right. All right. All um, right. And this is mostly Dick trying to figure out what he's going to do now that he finds himself in the situation he is with Alfred's inheritance. Right. Like, yeah. And he's almost manic about it in this issue, right? Like, he is he is he's still reeling from having been shot by KG Beast and yeah. lost losing his memory and getting that back and he's grappling with well you know I was for all intents and purposes gone and what did I build that stayed past me right. nothing and I've always criticized Bruce for this I need to get on it well I think it's I have no idea if this were, was intentional or just one of those really really fortunate coincidences right but it ties in really nicely with what we were talking about last week with the story of Batman questioning what good have what lasting good have I done and saying well, that it's the people that I saved right it's hard to believe it's coincidence because who's writing that book too i, I, I know that's why I'm, but yeah <laughs> yeah like tom taylor like we yeah. haven't really gotten to see taylor play in continuity but if you stop and think about the way he's built, especially deceased, like these kinds of little nods and hooks, he's very good at just working in here and there and then coming back to pull together. Yeah. Uh, this is also the point in the episode where I get to tell Brian this week's big comic book news. Uh, Would you like to guess, starting in July, Brian, uh, Jen, if you haven't seen the news, you are welcome to guess along too. What book Tom Taylor is taking over? Can we ask questions? Sure. Is it is it a bat book? No. Okay. Is it a book that it would be as big as a bat book? Yes. Is it Legion of Superheroes? No. Okay. But it has a connection to Legion of Superheroes. Ooh, is it a Superboy or Superman book? It is both. <gasps> it is Superman, which is relaunching with a new number 1. Starring Jonathan Kent there as the go. Superman of Earth. There you go. Oh, snap. That's um, awesome. Cal, uh, Cal, 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 and I are on, on close terms. I, mm, I get to just call are. him Cal. Yeah. yeah. Clark is going to remain the Superman in action, which will focus on him dealing with Warworld in space. Uh-huh. And in Superman, John will be. Uh, wearing the tights and the title. Nice. Yeah, one one more mention for this Nightwing book, though. Yeah. The fact that Barbara is just incessantly posting all of Dick's gaffes to the Bat Family group chat. (laughs) Yes. Also that Cass has no self-control when it comes to emojis. Yep. (laughs) You know, a nonverbal form of communication. Perfect. I so will, good. I will also just throw out there that Tom Taylor and Josh Williamson have already said, you know, we're we are actively messaging each other about uh 
Superman and Robin, and uh, Tom Taylor has acknowledged, you know, the connection between Nightwing's name and Superman. Right, so, like, yes. I think there's going to be some crossing around. Oh. Yeah. You know what makes me wonder if we'll get a new Firebird? That would be cool. Oh. Yeah. The Rise, number one. Written by George C. Romero. Art by Diego Yapur. Colors by DC Alonso. And letters by Saida Timofante. Jin. I'm guessing zombies? You, well, kind of, yeah. It's more the events that led up to George A. Romero writing Night of the Living Dead. Cool. As written by his son. Awesome. So, so Day of the Living? Is that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Day of Alive People. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it, it it's a lot of government conspiracy and experimentation and stuff like that. It's it's very it's very interesting and very cool. And I think uh-huh. it's gonna be very good. And the whole thing is like black and white with a motif of red running through it. Yeah, I saw some preview pages while I was looking for the creative team. It's a very pretty book. It's so pretty. I love it. Like, and pretty in that way where like you know when it gets gross, it's gonna it's, get gross. Oh, it's gonna get so fucking nasty. It's going to be just intolerable, I think. Yeah. Just imagine all the fluids. Oh. Squishy. Home number one. This is written by Julio Anta. Art is by Anna Viscek. Colors are by Brian Valenza. And letters by Hassan Atzmanelhau. Jin. So I broke my rule. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I don't tend to read books that are so very connected to what's going on out in the world for real. Uh, But this book is about a a migrant mother and son who gets separated at the border in 2018. Um, And... The son is not treated so well and discovers that he has latent super abilities. And so far, it is wonderful and heartbreaking and real. And I love it. It's also very pretty. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, for whatever reason, did not realize this was out yet. But I will check this one out. Homesick Pilots. We're going to talk about the whole first arc. Uh, a little, a little behind the scenes. <laughs> we had planned for Jin to start coming back on the weeks when this book was out, and something has happened every month for like the last three, four months. Every on that week, week, every week. Well, last week was the least infuriating of everything, but it's just like, can you just give me a little bit of a break, world, please, <laughs> and please, wife world? Said no. Well, I mean, I don't know how I have any right to even try and ask for a break in a post-2020 world, but, like, please. I mean, everybody deserves a break and downtime and time to rest. That's just human. This is true. This is written by Dan Waters. Art and colors are by Caspar Wingard. Letters by Aditya Bidikar. And design by Tom Muller. Jin, what do you think of this book? I fucking love this book. (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we knew that before you even told us (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. like even if like it wasn't for the beautiful colors and the art style that is just oh chef's kiss it's about kids in a band in high school who 
accidentally trip into a haunted house. Someone, they're talking about me. <laughs> they're talking about me. That that oh. actually tracks completely. If anyone I knew were going to accidentally do a homesick pilot, it would be you. <laughs> yeah, that 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 tracks. Yeah. Yep. I love it. I love Amy having to go out and find all these little ghosts and everything. It's wonderful. And then for it to turn out to be something completely different. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, right? because of course, like, she's so impressionable and looking for that thing that will help her understand the world. But, you know, you know how kids do. You know how kids do. She's a loner, being she tough it. about being a loner and really not wanting to be one. Yeah. How good are all the ghost designs? Oh, I love TFT. TFT, yeah. right? I that, love. Like, both amazing and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are some of them, like, I don't, I don't spook or get grossed out, but there were a couple of them that I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> the poor clock dude. Oh, no. What happened to him? Yeah. It was just his time. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I, I again that, that color palette is I, I can't get over that. It, it no. just, it, it, I, I can't even describe what it is about it that is just so amazing. But it, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Also, the fight choreography. I like. I normally am very middle of the road about comic book fights. Like, I get they serve their purpose and they're super important to a lot of people. This is the rare book where I'm like, no, this is. This is absolutely incredible. Just lay out art on the page. How mm-hmm. do you even pull some of this off? The- that first fight with TFT. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Incredible. All of the tape just everywhere. And ugh. that it's it is so as good. clean and, and readable. Yeah. While still being just a chaotic tangle is. So, I was actually just sitting there like following the tangle of the tape. And you can. You can yeah. do it. How many hours just to draw <laughs> the lines of this fucking tape? Oh my god. I but I can't begin to imagine. That Ferris wheel part. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. It's so good. Turns into like a spinning saw blade. Terrifying. I love it. The uh July solicitations for image dropped yesterday as we're recording. Which means the first cover featuring Meg is now out there. Uh, And there is a really creepy variant by Zoe Thorogood that is gorgeous and just a little gross at the same time. And like, I cannot wait to get Meg up in this mix and see what kind of chaos she introduces. Yes, because I guess that that ghost blood is just like a part of her now. Uh, it certainly feels that way. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Fucking gross. Can you imagine? You watch all your friends get splurched, and then you're just, like, permanently covered in their blood. Yeah. Out, out, down spot. Exactly. Oh, oh so gross. And oh. Buzz is the best of all. Yes. Just the best. Just, 
just the best. I could probably do without Rip, but Buzz is the best. <laughs> uh, I should send you both the links to, I think it's Jetpack Comics in the US and Forbidden Planet and maybe Big Bang in the UK. Uh, the three of them have a variant trade that comes with a signed, I think it's a signed book plate. It may just be a print. Uh, but I should send you guys the link to that, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I will do that. Probably when I edit and hear myself say that. <laughs> Good enough. The Old Guard, Tales Through Time, number one. Brian, so, this yeah, one so, is on you. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the anthology book where they're letting other creative teams come in and, and tell some stories, uh, specifically like older stories in uh, uh, this this universe the first one is uh there's two in this first issue and it's uh my mother's axe which is greg rucka uh you know who wrote old guard and uh uh writing and art is leandro fernandez um and it is a story about the origin of uh of our main character's axe which is you know pretty uh central piece prop in uh in the story and then the second story is uh, Zanzibar and Other Harbors, which is written by Andrew Wheeler, and art is Jacopo uh, Camagni. And the colors for both of those was Daniela Miwa, and the letters for both were Jody Wynn. Um, so uh, the second one is a story about um, uh, our two male characters who have been lovers for centuries now at this point. And them recalling some of their tales and how uh, they can't sit by and watch somebody be mistreated. And how it seems like everywhere they go, there are bullies and sadists who want to mistreat people. And how sometimes, uh, let's say karma is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was this was super super cool. Um, I can't wait for more of these little short stories. Super quick read. Um, if you like this world, then uh, I, I would recommend yeah pick this up just because these are fun quick stories. I like that. I mean, we've talked about this with with DC, but I like that creator owned books are also leaning into these sort of anthology series with other creative teams coming in telling stories. We see it here. Yeah. We've seen it in. Uh, Black Hammer. Yes. Like, yep. I think it's a really cool way to let some other people get hands on the ball without just totally passing the torch and moving on. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And um, let me see if I can find it super quick. Uh, yeah, uh, just to give you a tease, the uh, the next issue, uh, the two stories are Kelly Sudaconic and Eric Troutman. So, yeah. Nice. Stray Dogs, number three. Written by Tony Fleeks, art by Trish Forstner, colors by Brad Simpson, layouts by Tony Rodriguez, flatter is Lauren Perry, logo and design are by Lauren Herda, and pre-press is by Gabriella Downey. Jin. Alex, this is all your fault. This is my fault. Um, I apologize. Mm. I take full responsibility. Mm. Uh, this book gets sad, this issue. Yeah, yeah, it fucking does. Sadder, I should say. I guess it was already yeah, sad. Yeah, I mean, little Sophie already makes me want to cry my eyes out. Because she's so... <laughs> I just... 
I just imagine my little bubbers. What would they be like? They would forget me pretty fast. Actually. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. If it was up to especially Duncan to solve your murder. <laughs> uh, well, what, you would be the it, coldest case. Is it other Henry? Is he the one that forgets the fastest? I think that's right. <laughs> Duncan. I mean, to be fair, though, if Duncan was the... You could find him because he, Duncan would still be barking at this point. <laughs> True. No, if he saw something like that, he would be hiding behind a pillow. Okay, fair enough. Because he's a big, brave dog when he knows what's going on. But yeah. if if something <laughs> falls and is loud or people struggle, he's hiding. That that does track, yeah. Fourth. Sweet bib. To be fair, I don't think Rusty's much hotter on the trail. No, he'll at least try and bite you. He'll try yeah. to gum you to death. Or at least hump your foot. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Get a good rage hump going. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds wrong on so many levels. It sounds like a bad middle school screamo band. <laughs> oh my god. It does rage hump. You say bad, I say, yeah, it's pretty bad, but they probably played at Swayze's and I probably saw them. uh yeah so this issue um which it doesn't help that the dog's name is rusty by the way no i would imagine not actually no this issue the pups find something they aren't supposed to and one of them pays the price for it Uh uh-oh and it's not just the punishment no that sounds really really bad yeah i yeah i was mildly upset i uh jen messaged me about having read this and then trying to watch riverdale and choosing literally the worst possible episode Mm. to jump into riverdale on to catch up um i'm just gonna put it on in the background because i don't actually care about riverdale like it's bonkers but like okay i don't need to watch it um, but it was season four, episode one. Which is the one where they memorialize uh Fred, Fred Andrews, yeah. Luke Perry. Luke yeah. Perry, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um the the one episode of Riverdale where everyone's like, let's have some chill this week. Yeah. yeah. Which is wildly unnerving on that show. Yeah. Needless to anyway, say, I I didn't I didn't have a good time with that. Yeah, don't don't consume this and other very sad media back to back is kind of the warning here. I'm also just imagining the animated feature for this book and like the bawling ten year olds who did not know what oh, they were getting into. No. Oh, they can never make this into a thing. I think it's already been picked oh, up. No. I think like the issue one solicitation said it was said in it was going to be a I think so, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. There are going to be some sad kids who are scarred for life. For life. Oh, God. Anyway, good, good puppies try to get help. Yeah. Poor Bebs. Poor little Victor. Why is it the... That was the three-legged one. Yeah. Okay, now I'm sad. What's next? Champions, number six. Uh, Written by Danny Lore, who has taken over the series. Art is by Luciano Vecchio. Colors by Federico Blay. And letters by Clayton Cowell. I really dug this. What yeah, did you think? Brian? I, I like it too. I like um, I, I like the slightly different tone and and direction that this feels. Yeah, it's. I think it's a really hard thing to do to write a comic about social media. Yeah, and I think this one takes a very smart approach, 
that is looking at the way social media can be used as a tool by a company like Roxon. Yes. For nefarious purposes and making making it about Roxon and not necessarily about this generic Facebook or whatever stand. Yeah, I was the, the the only the only thing I was going to say about this is there are parts of this that feel a little bit too real. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look, they just throw merchandise on everything and expect us to forget. It's almost like they're trying to buy our forgiveness. Do you think they have these shoes in my size? Oh, yeah. Bruno. Yeah. Uh, Viv Vision gets a new costume in this issue as well. Ooh. That looks, I think, really great. I also agree. Uh, I, I, You know what? Surprisingly, I like, I mean, I say I like her. I like the character. I don't like her is the new Roxon marketing person <laughs> i mean she feels just like just like a social media marketing manager right her whole mo is being publicly facing just sweet and disarming and all of that and then she is the most ruthlessly machiavellian business person in the boardroom yep. nice. uh, at one point she is tasked someone with hiring like a young face who will relate to kids and get them on board as counter-programming to the champions calling them out. So he hires uh, this character who was basically an, a, a villain for Riri Williams in the Ironheart 2020 miniseries. So she immediately fires them both because, come on, fuck off with this kid. He's 20 years old. He is not relatable at all. He clearly hasn't read anything other than a research paper since he was six years old fuck off yeah <laughs> yeah a andre sims yes yeah so then she's like who in the room is the youngest person cool you're in charge of this now go find me someone who makes more sense yeah and call me by my first name this miss whatever nonsense doesn't look good in publicity <laughs> Oh, so good. And so, uh, yeah, we kind of know from last issue who they're going to get, don't we? We do. We got a little a little tease a little at tease. the end of number five yeah. uh, that is set after this issue, uh -huh. probably sometime during issue seven, if I had to guess, Yep. Uh, where we ultimately see that Miles and Sam will, will get gigs as interns to take them down from within uh, a lot of this issue also deals with sort of the the fallout and team dynamics after the kamala's law stuff the outlawed stuff uh riri is really still i think understandably pretty irritated with the team for thinking she had been selling them out when yeah she was just I, to... I mean i totally get that one yeah um viv feels guilty for having sold everyone out Right. Um, and is like making mistakes because she's so distracted by that guilt. And one of the things I think they were super clever to point this out. One of the things that Riri is so upset about is not just that they did think that, but that they were so willing to forgive Viv when it turned out to be her. Yeah. And they didn't seem to be willing to do that when it was her. Yeah. Like there's like, there's a lot of yeah. really smart. There are a lot of really smart emotional beats. Moving on, The Mighty Valkyries, number one. This is just me, right? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. I will keep it quick then. We had two stories in this issue. The first follows Jane, 
it is written by Jason Aaron and Torin Grunbeck. Art and colors are by Mattia de Ulis, and letters are by Joe Sabino. Uh, this is dealing with Jane back on Earth at work. Uh, she bumps into Doctor Strange, and we learn that the hospital, uh, whatever Lisa Cuddy's job was on House, their boss, doesn't really like either of them very much, uh, and is on both of their cases for not being where they're supposed to be. Uh, but Strange wants Jane to investigate these sort of animal attacks that have been turning up, uh, which leads her eventually to a, a mortician's bar where she runs into this blonde Norse looking dude who starts flirting with her, who turns out to be Loki. And we learn that, uh, his grandchild, grandchildren, who are collectively a wolf, uh, is wreaking havoc, and he needs her to solve it because it wants to kill... They want to kill him. Okay, thanks, bye. So, uh, that is what Jane is dealing with. The other story is about the new Valkyrie, who was introduced in the King and Black tie-in, who's sort of a uh, Marvel Comics version of Tessa Thompson's character in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, similar but different backstory. She was a Valkyrie eons ago... Everyone else died. Her partner was also killed. Uh, in the course of King and Black, this Valkyrie, whose name we have not learned prior to this issue, comes back to life. She is freed from being trapped inside of a Celestial's body. Uh, and is sort of going off to deal with loose ends and sort of connect to her life as much as she can centuries later, right? Like, what of the world I knew still exists? is sort of her question here. Uh, both of these stories are really solid. I'm glad that we get more Jane Foster. I'm glad to see that we're getting more Valkyries in general. Uh, I don't think I read out the creative team for the new Valkyrie story. It's written by Torin Grunbeck. Art is by Erica Durso. Colors are by Marcio Meniz. And letters are by Joe Sabino. Uh, both of these stories, absolutely fantastic. If you dug Jason Aaron's Thor run, Obviously, this connects back to that a little bit, too. Uh, but in general, I think it's a good place to jump on if you want some good Jane Foster or like the character from Thor Ragnarok and want to see sort of the comics take on her. Nice. X-Men time. Oh, yeah. We are going to start by revisiting Children of the Atom number two. Written by Vita Ayala, art by Bernard Chang, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, letters by Travis Lanham, and design by Tom Muller. Jen, what you think about this book? Listen, I had several books in my cart from last week. All right. I don't want to talk about it. I didn't realize. Alex, let the, me read the entire second book without the number saying of times anything. Brian has missed an episode oh, and yeah. wanted to touch on a couple of things. I do it all the time. I didn't think twice about it. <laughs> I do it all the time. Oh my gosh. I am curious what you think of this book though. Yeah. I am really enjoying this book. I really like these kids. I like that everybody is kind of, uh, they don't know what to do about them. <laughs> um, I like that the X-Men still have not figured it out. I know. Like, one, you don't think to ask, okay, but are you really mutants? Right. But are you, but are I you love how everyone really? just assumes. I mean, it's not just the mutants who assume Like, everybody assumes that they are. Yeah, and this issue 
comes out and plainly talks about you know the assumptions that we make when we just see people just based on who we think that they are yep well and it's also like i think a really perfect blind spot for (laughs) the x-men i thought you were gonna say a perfect storm (laughs) (laughs) because there's no other point in their history when they would have had sort of the cultural weight that anyone would want to be associated with them without being a mutant, or that they would have the 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 weight to to you know keep these kids safe just with influence kind of yeah right yeah and these kids wouldn't be such a a big international issue (laughs) (laughs) as cat puts it I love the disconnect, too, between, like, Cap and Avengers versus the X-Men in talking about these kids mm-hmm. and about how they both have the most valid of points, but they I, cannot find a middle ground. No, I, I, I gotta say, I loved the fact that Krakoa has the weight for Storm basically to tell the Avengers to fuck off. Get the fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> so good. Hey, don't touch that yellow petal. Don't ask why. It's fine. It was so good. Do you have a favorite yeah. Children of the Atom? Child oh, of the Atom? Oh man. Oh man. Is it is is it 90 Nightcrawler? Maybe. But it's probably Buddy. Even though come on. Please don't call yourself Cyclops lass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Although, an homage. She's the very... names the na- the names are so bad that only only kids could come up with them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> although she's very Scott Summers esque. Oh yeah, yeah. Like to a fucking T. I just kind of love this book. Yeah, so good, good stuff. Let's talk about X Force number nineteen. <sighs> How the hell do I like Kid Omega? Right. <sighs> I am furious at Benjamin Percy writing. <laughs> Uh, with art by Gary Brown, colors by Guru EFX, letters by Joe Caramagna, and design by Tom Muller for making me like Quentin Quire this much. Not right. like, okay, he's fun to have in the cast because he's a punk and like he's he brings a chaotic energy that I appreciate. No, like I feel badly for him, and I don't I don't want to, but oh, I no. do, and that's good writing. Oh no, yeah, I, I just uh, yeah. He and Gene, I think, like just spells it out in this issue, like what has been the thing with him in the past and kind of where he's at now, and like it's just so damn good. Let me let me say this: I have never seen Gene Gray put out more mom energy, yeah, than when she is trying to to train, uh, Quentin and Phoebe to navigate the astral plane and they start flirting Mm. and she comes and takes the psychic projection of a key that he's going to use to like unlock her mind and get in it out of his hand and just smacks it away (laughs) yeah she's because she's talking about how you know basically there's an entrance from this place into anyone's mind and that you know if people are distracted or drunk or asleep or whatever it's easier to open the door but that, you know, basically you have to understand that it's a massive violation to do this. And Quentin summons this, you know, this image of this key and Phoebe says something like, well, but what if it's consensual? <laughs> <laughs> and Jean's like, Gross. no. Gross. 
I know from personal experience, even even the people that you're in intimate relationships with, there's stuff in their heads you don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so so good. And the other there's a the the other one that's the key I think when she is she talks about how Quentin is always saying you know that he's the omega level mutant and he's so powerful and this that, and there and she's like yeah and you believe that everywhere except in your heart, which is the only thing that matters when you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> calling him out? Pretty much. Pretty much. But then he rises to the occasion. He does. He does. Okay. So good. Not like that. <laughs> no, not like that. No, Shockingly, like that. not like that. I mean, maybe he does at the end, but... <laughs> I mean... When he's kissing he Phoebe, Phoebe in the pool. start making but, out, Yeah. Yeah. And the the thing that cracks me up is, you know, it's like uh, all the cuckoos are, should I say cuckoo over cable, right? <laughs> except, except Phoebe, Phoebe. who is, except Phoebe, who's <laughs> the one that's attracted to Quentin. It's just, there's something so perfect about all of this. I love it. I love it. Moving on to sword number five. Written by Al Ewing, art by Valerio Skitty, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by Ariana Mar, and designed by Tom Muller. So we have a couple things going on here. Was was this book actually titled How to Punk a Punk? Was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. What was the title of this? Uh, it uh, was Ga- uh, Giallo. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it. It is, though, how to punk a punk. <laughs> Fabian Cortez gets everything he has ever deserved. He sure does. In this issue. <laughs> starting from, starting from, he's just freshly resurrected, which means he comes out of the, out of the egg. They give him, they're like, all right, well, you wanted to talk to the ca- quiet council. Here's your time right now. He's yeah. like, well, can he- I at least get some clothes? No, it's right now or, or forget it. <laughs> he doesn't get the resurrection ceremony. Nope. He doesn't get any clothes. They send him naked and covered in yoke <laughs> to the quiet council meeting with barely a quorum. He's literally just died and naked in class. It's all the worst nightmares rolled up in one. Yep. And then he kind of rolls with it. Like to his credit, he does his business. He makes his impassioned plea. Like we should get to kill humans. Yep. Uh, when what he's really saying is I should get to kill humans. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he gets called out on that as well, and then basically he says, "Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because you can't afford to not have me because your space program won't work without me." And then we hit pause and go to our B plot and talk about it because yes. this is the moment where they line up. Uh, Snark War has been going on. It was kicked off in Guardians of the Galaxy a few months ago with the murder of the King Snark. Uh, We've seen it play out mostly in S.W.O.R.D. since, as his offspring are fighting to become the new ruler by killing all the others. Last Snark standing wins. Someone has been assassinating the Snark leaders, and they've just all assumed that it was one of them. Until we see basically the last two of them in a room both get assassinated, and we learn that it's a new character who shows up in this meeting uh, with Abigail Brand to report that the the radical pacifist or whatever snark has won, that they have engineered this win with the aid of Fabian Cortez's replacement. Who's, who I absolutely love. Her aesthetic is just yeah. amazing. Her she name is, is Cora, Cora of the Burning Heart. 
She is an Iraqi mutant. Yes. Uh, and, like, literally her heart is on fire. It is this power that she can share with others to strengthen them, a la Fabian Cortez. Uh, but if she's got it all pulled into her, she is at her most powerful. She never really uses that power much because it would be an insult on Arako to imply that anyone needed more power. Uh, but she's got this cool design where she's in this sort of half tunic and pants with a glowing torso. Like, really distinctive, really good design work. Yes, agreed. She has these, these beautiful, like, this amazing, like, red eyes with, with heavy liner and, like, this almost tattoo-ish style skin. It's so, so wonderful. I love it. Anything else on Sword? Uh, no, other than, you know, I'm thinking I probably wouldn't want to go up against Abigail Brand. <laughs> no. She, no. She, she might be the Batman of mutants. <laughs> yeah, I or maybe the Midnighter. Maybe, okay, yeah, that might be, yeah. Yeah. Way of X number one. Or as it's, as it's otherwise to be known, somehow the most Alex shit in the entire X office. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Cy Spurrier, art by Bob Quinn, colors by Java Tartaglia, letters by Clayton Cowles, and designed by, say it with me, Tom Muller. Um, but you know what? It being written by Cy Spurrier, maybe it's not unusual that it's the most Alex book. <laughs> no, like... That's that's on brand. Yeah. Um so much of this issue like can be distilled I think into a single idea, which is as preface, we had seen Nightcrawler in like X-Men number 9 last year uh-huh. talk about starting a mutant religion because he was uncomfortable with some of the new Krakoan culture. And in this issue that really turns into he cannot place what feels wrong all of the arguments that people make about why life is the way it is feel authentic and feel logical like but he still yeah. he still can't shake that this doesn't sit well with him there's there i think probably the clearest example that they give in this is especially among the young mutants like there's this it's like a rite of passage for their first death and resurrection well, to be like this glorious event. They they Spurrier has them literally talk about being resurrected for the first time using the same language that like in tropey TV shows you see kids talk about having sex for the first time. Yep. In the I want it to be special, I don't know if I'm ready yet. That kind of, of language is how they talk about this. And I think that's, like, I bumped into that a little bit at first, honestly. I, but the more the book sort of played with the idea, the more the more the, the more intentionally incomfort- uncomfortable it the, was obvious that was meant to be. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, when you remember that it is teenagers that, that are doing that, and that's exactly right. the kind of thing they would do, yeah. Um, we see that, we see... Kurt continue to struggle with the resurrection uh, uh, combat. The crucible. The crucible. Um, we hear this phrase repeated throughout the issue. People call him one of the kindly ones. And the first character we hear do that is this sort of shrouded mutant who's been depowered in M-Day. Uh, we learn later that that's the case. Who's come to Kakoa and... He thinks she's just asking for directions. He he thinks she just needs someone to help show her around. 
So he points her toward the welcome center. And later goes to see her in combat with Magneto just being eviscerated and realizes, no, she came to me because I'm supposed to be kind to ask for a gentler death. Right. And like that frames him in in terms of the Crucible in a way that I don't think he had thought about, certainly that we haven't seen him think about. Who would ask Nightcrawler to come fight them? Right. Yeah. Um, Xavier is anxious about something at the beginning of the issue and reaches out to Kurt, realizes Kurt's on a mission and sort of backpedals. But like, that's another layer of this that's all weighing on him. And then we get Dr. Nemesis. Dr. Nemesis. Oh my God. Dr. Nemesis, I think, by the way, is the standout supporting character of yes, this issue. Yes, 100%. Kind of like he's 100% all of the all of the people in charge of all of the science research. <laughs> yeah, he, he, at some point in the past, has pitched sort of a, a science core. Yes. With physical science, life science, sentient irrationality, and formal exact sciences as divisions. There are like a dozen laboratories with various specialist studies underneath them. There's a whole chart and graph. And all of them are headed up, with the exception of one, are all headed up by Dr. Nemesis. (laughs) That exception is law and ethics. (laughs) I also love the footnote on this. Yes. Shut up, Sinister. You don't have a monopoly on this. Uh, stick to your dreary eugenics and leave the genomic adventuring to a professional. When we meet him, he's got mushrooms growing out of his head because he is using his head to grow various psychotropic fungi. Yep. That he wants Kurt to try out. <laughs> the other thing we get scattered through this as the text pages uh, are excerpts from the book of, and it's redacted, so we don't know what the full name of it is. Yeah. But it's uh, essentially, this is from what would be like the first chapter. It's called the first Florilegium. Uh, and, and the beginning, like one of the, one of the books is preambles and brain farts. <laughs> <laughs> chapter one feels, versus one to five. <laughs> it feels like these, these excerpts have been written, have been written and codified yeah. after I, I, the story yeah. that's happening. Yeah. I, I, as though like, Nightcrawler had kept a journal, yes. and then that journal had been recontextualized as a religious book without that being its intent. Correct, because it, it, yeah, it, it's got very different. It sounds like Kurt's musings that he would write in a journal, like it's right. things like "I hope to learn what we ought to believe." Instead, I learned how we ought to live. So, I mean, there are things that make sense to put in something like this, but they're like, just the phrasing of them is not, yeah. There's also this this patchwork man who all the kids on Krakoa have started building up as this sort of boogeyman character. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the beginning of the issue sort of positions him there. And then we see when Pixie comes back to life, like, she sees a flash of him somewhere, and then he's gone. Uh, and by the end of this, I like the breadcrumbs to this character's identity because I think it's set up so you can piece it together just before like it yep. becomes obvious. You can. I did. Uh, <laughs> I did too. But then we learn that the thing that has been weighing on Xavier's mind, and this is one of the rare books, by the way, where we see him with the helmet off. Yes. Which is important. I think we've only seen him with the helmet off one other time Maybe. when he was in like a UN meeting or mm-hmm. something like that, we learn that it's Legion. Legion is the patchwork man. And Nightcrawler 
has to deal with him because Nightcrawler is the person Charles knows who's the most empathetic. And that's what what David needs. Yeah, one of the things I think that that it, it occurred to me, I think we're going to find in this, is Kurt's going to essentially develop a social path for uh, restor- resurrection and restoration of mutant powers, I, a la M-Day, people who lost their powers. Mm-hmm. That is a different path than the Crucible. I think that's possible. I also yeah. think, like, to me... One of the things that seems to be consistent in what Kurt bumps into is a question the book never explicitly asks. If you are immortal, right. what is the value of life? Mm-hmm. Do we need to respect death more in order to value life? Yeah, isn't it? it I think it's this book where somebody says, you know, says something about, uh, you know, basically we've redefined morality and done away with mortality and conquered yeah. mortality yeah like oh uh is it in magneto's speech i think it is yeah yeah uh because nightcrawler tries to prank magneto and magneto turns it into like a sermon to to rouse all the mutants to just irritate nightcrawler that seems like the whole point of it is just to get under kurt's skin i like it though strong me too strong start so good all right is it still good bequest number two brian yeah, this is uh, uh, the Tim Seeley book where, uh, I'm going to be super fast about this just because I didn't get a chance to talk about the first one, Sure. Uh, where uh, items from a fantasy realm are being traded uh, to Earth people for items from our world. So like they're taking machine guns and, and weapons from our world to the fantasy world, and Things like, you know, fireball wands are coming into our world. And how both of the both of them view theirs as, you know, something that's not overly powerful in their world, but is when it's taken and used in the other world, it becomes it does become that powerful because nobody has defenses against it. So mm. um and we the the first issue saw us uh have a, a, a group uh of people who were exiled to Earth as punishment to help find and eliminate these these holes between the realms and this crossing of illegal goods. So uh it's 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 pretty darn cool. I kinda like it. I kinda like cool. the setup they have in this. Yeah. How about Spectre Inspectors number three? Um Taking a demon-possessed person into a haunted house may not be the best of ideas. (laughs) Luna number three. Uh, Let's just say Teresa sees God. Orphan and the Five Beasts number two. Uh, Orphan Moe takes the fight to Thunder Thighs. The next Batman, Second Son, Chapter 8. We learn just what it is Jace did all those years ago that has him sort of in hot water with his family. Catwoman, number 30. Uh, With Riddler's help, Selina pieces together where Ivy is and where all these drugs are coming from. Superman, red and blue, number two. Uh, We've talked about a lot of these red and blue, black and white kind of issues lately. A uh, couple of favorites in this one. 
uh, Own, which is by Stephen T. Siegel, with art and colors by Duncan Rollo and letters by Pat Brousseau, is about Martha talking to a couple of sort of gossipy friends in Smallville uh, about her relationship with Superman as her son. Uh, And then there's one called My Best Friend Superman, written by Stephanie Phillips with art and colors by Marley Zircone and letters by Rob Lee. Uh, that is about a little girl in show and tell who brings the space rock Superman gave her when she helped him. And nobody believes her. Oh. Ha ha, number four. Uh, everything floats. Still a fucking note for me. <laughs> I remember when we first saw the solicitations of this book, I was like, this has got to be the most non-gen book that has ever come mm. out. <laughs> yeah. Radiant Black number three, gin. Uh, we finally get the hero name of Radiant Black, and our Nathan Nathan finds out that uh, you should really write what you know. The Amazing Spider-Man number sixty-four. Uh, two unlikely characters have to team up to save their children from Madame Mask. That's right, Robbie Robertson and Tombstone working together. Ah. Uh. Uh, also, maybe someone comes back from the dead. <laughs> Avengers number 45. There's a new sheriff in Chernobyl. Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade number two. We learn the secret history of the Ebony Blade and the other artifacts that were crafted with it and are missing to time. Captain Marvel number 28. Carol decides that the only way she is going to keep Ove from destroying the world is by learning magic, and Jessica takes her to see Doctor Strange for help learning magic. A decision every one of them regrets. Carnage, Black, White, and Blood, number two. Uh, all these were great. We have a story in here by Donnie Cates, Kyle Hotz, and Rochelle Rosenberg about uh, the Carnage symbiote living on a shark to hide out after uh, Cletus Cassidy was killed. We have a story by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto called My Red Hands, about a kid with a shitty home life who is befriended by the red man in the closet. That's the Carnage symbiote messing with him. And then My Name is Carnage, by Ram V and Javier Fernandez, about uh, an expedition to study this meteorite that locals believe is cursed. And maybe that curse is Carnage. By maybe, I mean it is. Eternals, number four. Uh, the investigation into who killed Zerus and broke the machine is still ongoing, and we see one character form an alliance that uh, isn't going to be good for anybody. Women of Marvel, number one. Uh, there were a lot of stories in this one. Um, Mariko Tamaki actually broke her stories into a series of one-pagers, uh, all of which were a lot of fun. There is one about Lady Deathstrike getting a manicure. Uh, There is one about, in fact, a lot of these kind of have sort of a theme here. One about Medusa, like, needing a haircut. Uh, One about Jean Grey trying to grow plants on the moon. A thing which she is not great at. One about Hell trying to get a good night's sleep. Um, We also had the return of Captain Carter from 
Uh, the Exiles book, the the version of Peggy Carter who takes up the shield when Steve dies. Oh, yeah. Trying to uh, get a spy out of Nazi-occupied Germany in the 40s. Uh, uh, a Misty Night story by Anne Toole, who I believe was one of the writers on Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was drawn by Kei Zama with colors by Ruth Redman. Uh, and... Uh, and a few others. All of these were a lot of fun. This was really solid across the board. And finally, Resonant number nine. Uh, Pax realizes that maybe this uh, tower immune to the world's rage outbursts that seems too good to be true is in fact too good to be true and built on a prisoner class. This week's books... Somehow this coming week is a heavy week, but with not a lot of number ones in it. We do have Robin number one, written by Joshua Williamson, art and colors by Gleb Melnikov, and letters by Troy Pateri. If you read Batman and Detective, the backups in those last month set this up. Uh, We've also learned about the return of a character who I don't think we've seen since Flashpoint in the comics uh who will show up within the next couple of issues of this super excited for it very nice brian yes sir ruby justice league number one uh yeah so i've mentioned this uh this has come out digitally and this is the first print uh print copy of this collected copy of this this is just stupid fun if you like the uh if you like the ruby franchise and show then uh this is this is fun young justice league members who live in that world. Let the record reflect that Jen had leaned over to, I'm assuming, do something with one of the dogs. And as soon as I said Ruby Justice League, like a meerkat (laughs) shot up (laughs) from the bottom of her Zoom frame. Yes. It's very good, and I like it a lot. Have have you read the digital ones? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're just fun. Yep. Yeah. We also have Helm Greycastle coming out in, coming out next week. This is written by Henry Barajas and Brian Valenza. Art is by Ramat M. Hondako. Letters are by Gabriella Downey. And the RPG in it is written by Tristan J. Tarwater with art by Jen Vaughn. Uh, this is a fantasy comic set in a set in an alternate version of Mexico where indigenous peoples drove out Spanish conquistadors. And is about a uh, an adventuring group that has to take down their evil ruler Montezuma the <laughs> Third. Uh, it's fantasy set in a a Mexican setting. Uh, this got a lot of press when it was up on Kickstarter. Yeah, and is coming out in single issues. It's a four issue miniseries, and yeah, includes RPG content as as sort of a backup. Yeah, nice. it's five uh, E compatible one shots. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, Shadecraft number two and the first, sorry, the second printing of number one. Yeah. We enjoyed the first one so much that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to let people know if they missed it, the second printing of number one will be out and issue two will be out both next, this week. So, uh, absolutely highest recommendations to pick those up. Jen. Do you want to mention the thing you are doing now on Monday and Tuesday nights? Sure, yeah. Um, Every Monday and Tuesday, I stream live with Botched, a D&D podcast. 
Um, on Mondays, we do community nights. So we will either watch a movie together or with, you know, stupid commentary because we're idiots like that. Or we will play a video game, usually Mario Kart lately. Um, and I suck very bad at every video <laughs> game, but specifically Mario Kart. So you, if you play with us, you will have the joy of knowing that you will never be last. that will be me um and then on tuesdays every tuesday night we play two episodes worth of our ongoing D D campaign um which is actually coming to an end very soon so if you're not looking to get caught up on anything story-wise uh you've got a chance to jump on i will i will editorialize on this and say what you guys did with the opportunity to walk into the hollow deck as a joke (laughs) was pretty fucking fantastic i fucking love that we walked in there and just pretended that we were going to do it and then we were like no dennis we have to play this out (laughs) it has to happen now (laughs) oh yeah that was that's that was a really really fun couple episodes yeah there's a lot of gross stuff in it though so if you're not looking for that (laughs) those two episodes maybe skip (laughs) i should mention i have guested on the latest episode of men of steel which yeah. is another podcast on certain POV yeah. dealing with basically Superman stories. I actually did two episodes. One is out. One will be out, I think, next week uh, about the second season of Superman, the animated series, which is perfect Superman. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. I was glad they had me uh and enjoyed talking about it if there's nothing else then we would like to thank chase parker for our intro voiceover we are a member of that aforementioned certain pov network if you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture go to certainpov.com. you can visit us at panelologypodcast.com support us on patreon at patreon.com slash panelology get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch capital p capital m or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. I'm Jenna. And I am Ryan. Go read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.